Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Mississippi in the evening rain These delta towns with satin gowns in the high beam fray The red wind guides my hand through the radio Where would I be in times like these without the song Loretta Rose? When you can't find a friend, you still got the radio When you can't find a friend, you still got the radio Radio. Oh, listen to the radio. All right, listen radio. to the radio. I'm having sort of a reality distortion problem here. I just finished recording a full show about piracy and pirates. And so that was sort of, never mind. It's just very confusing. And, and also, I'm tired. Um, so on those promising notes, well, I do want to say one thing about that, too. And then we're going to go to Lori from Gales Ferry. But let me just tell you once again, it's Ask or Tell Me Anything. The number to call to ask or tell me anything, 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. And let me also remind you of our recently instituted idea, a principle Uh, a code, perhaps, which is that your call need not amount to more than a hill of beans. And we have a hill of beans right here in the studio that I can measure your call against. But even if it's, it doesn't amount to a hill of beans, it's still, it's your thing. It's your call. You decided you wanted to call and talk on the radio about it. I consider that to be completely, completely legitimate. And before we go to Lori, I just want to say, so 48 hours ago, almost exactly, after making multiple attempts I actually succeeded in getting the COVID booster shot, which is like, you know, I just, it's been a while since you really had to work hard to get one of those booster shots. I mean, for, you know, heading into 2021, it was pretty, it was, you know, you really had to schedule it and there were like, you know, people from the army standing there. But in the ensuing years, it didn't really seem like that much of a problem. Wow, it's really hard right now. Anyway, I get the COVID shot, and then, and this is not to dissuade you from getting the COVID shot. You should get your booster. But I have to say, more than it ever has before, it completely leveled me. So that I would say for all of Saturday night and a good chunk of Sunday, I was not myself um, and, and perhaps worse than simply not myself. So, and I may not still be myself now. So be gentle. That's really what I'm saying to you. Be, be gentle with me and accept my multiple failings. All right. So the number to call, 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. Let's have a chat with Lori from Gales Ferry. Hi, Lori. Hey, Colin. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I, I wish I could come up with a frivolous, funny topic. To no, you don't have to. You don't have to. Oh, okay, good. Because the only things I can think of are momentous. And the thing I'm really interested in your perspective on is why the Democrats were united in ousting McCarthy, because I think it was a really bad freaking idea. 
Um, yeah, well, continue. Say a little bit more about why you think it's a bad idea. And then this is something well, I've given some I, thought to, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, he's, of course, he's a he's a turd, but, <laughs> you know, the, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. And even though we know those devils too, and it's, it's like, yeah, so he's a lying scumbag, but we know that. And, <laughs> you know, we, we avoided a government shutdown, and now we're going to get one, and we're going to get someone far, far worse than him. And it's, things are going to be even more miserable than they were before. Couldn't we have just stayed with miserable instead of extra miserable? So... Okay, That's so let me, so uh, before you say like another bad word, um, although those were fine, Sorry. those were no, those were fine. <laughs> but I just felt you, you might be building, Lori. That was my concern. You might be building okay. to something even bigger. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and this is all in defense of Kevin McCarthy, which I I also appreciate. Um, so. I think if you look at it from the point of view of almost game theory, which is really not how these things are looked at, you have to at least ask yourself the question, should there be consequences for repeatedly lying to us and betraying us? I mean, the Democratic caucus is looking and they're saying, geez, you know, certainly going back to January 6th, I mean, he, you know, took several he was initially outraged because he thought they were going to come kill him. Uh, but then he just backed away and tried to turn it into a, a real nothing event. And that pattern followed over and over again, culminating in his attempt to blame the potential shutdown when it seemed like it was going to happen on the Democrats, which is kind of crazy talk. Um, and I think if you're uh, Hakam Jeffries or anybody connected to the caucus, you're saying to yourself, there has to be a consequence. You know, even... Even if the next person is no better, what that no better person will conclude is that there are no consequences for screwing with us. Uh, and and so that's sort of the game theory look, looking at it. You have to sort of say, well, at some point we have to impose consequences and they have handed us a golden opportunity to, to impose consequences on this guy. We have the numbers. We can do it. I think also because the world is not run by stark calculation and game theory decisions – they're just sick of him. <laughs> just really, you get really tired of people, uh, and you get tired of a guy like McCarthy, who is just unpleasant in a very weak and ineffectual way. And you're absolutely right that they, if it's you know, if it's Jim Jordan, that's a that's a nightmare of gigantic proportions. Um, you know, if it's Scalise, I don't know. You know, is it he's is he that much worse than, than McCarthy? He might even be a little bit better. I don't know. But you know, they may have decided, Lori, just to invert your trope there, better the devil we don't know than the one that we do. Well, I really do appreciate your perspective because uh, you know, the the idea of consequences does make sense to me cuz Democrats are really keen on that. It sounds like it was just Mm, bound to happen, meant to happen. Um, and the consequences, if we had saved him, might have made the Republicans so mad that, you know, they would have been horrible, more horrible anyway. Right. I don't think there's a, you know, there's a yellow brick road here anywhere. You know, I just think no matter what happens, I think you're absolutely correct that preserving him would have made the crazy aid even crazier. Um, I don't think that it would have led to an age of Pericles, 
So, um, you know, it's just unfortunate that we're at this point. I don't think there were any happy endings. But, Lori, thank you so much for being our first call of the day. Uh, once again, the number, 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. Let's go to Nicholas. Nicholas, next. Hi, you're on the air. Hey there. How are you doing today? Just fine. Um, so yeah, I called in, um, we've been here for about a year. My wife and I actually moved to the state after many, many years in Massachusetts and New Jersey. And now that we have gotten through her doctoral program and all these other things going on, sort of settled in and, you know, trying to figure out what it is about this state that, you know, we've known kind of in the peripheral for many years. I went to boarding school here and have a lot of family here, but as new residents, I wanted to get your perspective on what makes this state great. Uh, my bar is high. I'm coming from Massachusetts, looking for something good. Not that I dislike <laughs> it, but I just want to have more fuel to add to the excitement here. Well, this is, yeah, that that's an interesting challenge. And I'll, I have to sort of pause and think about it for a moment. One thing that I will say, most of everything, most of what I'm probably going to say here will fall into the category of faint praise. Um, but... I actually think one of the boons of Connecticut, and the the differences between Massachusetts and Connecticut are not stark, right? I mean, this is not, you're not moving here from Nebraska um, or California. But I I think there's a livability to Connecticut. One of the things that, uh, I mean, it's not universal, obviously, and some, some of this is me talking from a position of privilege. But living in Connecticut, I find... For example, when I go to Boston, I think, wow, this is just really hard. Like you get in your car and just it's just awful. You know? um, and Connecticut drivers are pretty awful too. You'll hear people call up the show all the time. But there's there's still, like, wow, is it just going to be really hard to you know cover this seven-mile distance or something? Uh, I, I think Connecticut is a more livable state. It's done a very poor job of building up mass transit and stuff like that. Um, but there are just ways in which the things that you need are obtainable on a pretty easy basis and – uh, so and all of this, I admit, sounds like faint praise, but um, you, you don't have to wait in as many lines. Uh, there just aren't, <laughs> aren't lines, uh, partly because you know, we're a little bit more sparsely populated from a certain point of view. But th- here's the real thing that I do tell people, and I mean this quite seriously. Um, and I don't know. Oh, you're living. It looks like you're living in West Hartford. Oh, West Hartford is like the the pinnacle of livability. I don't know if you've noticed this in the past year, but it's like kind of pretty easy. You're not going to go to a great restaurant, but you're going to go to a really good restaurant, and you probably won't have a struggle getting that table and stuff like that. But uh, and just school, and it's just all very kind of easy to do. But here's the reality: Connecticut actually is a place that needs you. Um, it needs good people. It needs smart people. Our cities in particular need good people and smart people. Um, when people ask me why I have stayed here, one of the reasons I stayed here for a really long time and was that I was much more involved in the affairs of the city of Hartford for quite a while was I just felt like, you know, I could take a job in San Francisco and nobody would care. You know, uh, I could take a job with the Boston Globe. Nobody would care. I mean, they already got lots of people. Uh, there's a way in which... Connecticut and and a place like Hartford in particular needs smart, heavily engaged people to serve on boards, to start things, to start projects. If you want to start something up, like my colleague Kion Wolf, like every twenty minutes she starts some new thing, like an early morning bike ride before the marathon or something, and and or a 
poetry session or a you know a storytelling program or something. You can start things here if you're smart and you have good people skills. You can be a person who plants seeds that grow. And so, uh, to me, that's the greatest thing about Connecticut is that there's an awful lot of room for that kind of innovation and engagement. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Does that make any sense? Am I am I scoring it all here? Yeah, and I wouldn't say that that's a faint praise or any you know vague appreciation of the state. I think a lot of that is. I mean, we're we're coming from like Boston in the mm-hmm. Jersey City area. So to your point about you know if you want to make an impact or you want to make something happen, it'll be seen and probably appreciated in a way that you know as much as I love Boston and to a lesser extent the New York metropolitan area, you know they don't need more people. There's something going on every. Day. Mm-hmm. And plus, you can't afford to actually enjoy it um, just by virtue of living there. So, yeah, no, that's pretty much exactly what I was hoping to hear. I'm glad it's uh, being confirmed by someone who knows what they're talking about. Yeah. No, if you make yourself available, if you make yourself known to people and you want to be on the board of a major nonprofit or something or and really, I just encourage you so much to start things. I mean, Kion does it more than I do, but back when I was young and full of vitality, I started a bunch of things here. And that's a very exciting thing to do. I don't think there's the kind of breathing room to do it uh, in, in a Boston or a San Francisco or a Dallas. But here you can. Uh, you can make a thing. You can make a kind of event that doesn't exist, or you can think about something that, that's not there that needs to be there. So, um, yeah, if you have creative impulses, it's a great place. And I bet you're going to be a huge asset here. I can just I can just tell with the tremendous extrasensory uh, perception that I have. So thanks for your call, man. Whoop. I know he's going to hang up that fast. All righty. Um, we're going to go now to Chris, and then we'll – do I need to – actually, I should take my break now. So I'm going to take a break right now. We'll come to Chris from Avon after this. Uh, and uh, our number is 888-720-WNPR, Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash elevating health. It was hard, but I 
got over it. I just passed the test. But it's inspiring. We need this. I'm talking to Dylan Reyes right now. We need this because we're like we've done one and a half shows now and we're tired. Uh, we need somebody to pep talk us. All right. So welcome to Ask or Tell Me Anything, and welcome back. I guess I should say. Uh, and yes, we have people calling in here about all kinds of stuff. Let's uh, go to the phones and do that. Actually, before we get to Chris, I'm going to go to Ginny in Avon because I think it'll. The sequence will probably be better. Uh, so, Ginny and Avon, hi, you have the floor. Hi there, how are you? Just fine. Good. So, I'm calling about Fat Bear Week. If you've been living under a rock, you may not have heard of it, but otherwise, you have probably seen some news uh, articles about Fat Bear Week. Um, this is, these are the last two days to vote for your favorite fat bear. And um, you're voting from um, the bears, around 100, who arrive every year at uh, Brooks River and Katmai National Park in Alaska. And a lot of the bears stay uh, from spring, from June-ish to fall, and some uh, take a little walkabout in August and are there early and then return. And so there's um, Brooks Camp there run by the rangers, and uh, you get to know the bears. A lot of people go visit. I'm a volunteer there in the summer. Um, a lot of people go visit and watch the bears feed on salmon, the greatest salmon run left in the world. And uh, they fish all along the river. It's not uncommon to see 20 or 30 at a time. And each bear is given a number after it's been seen three times in one, um, one session with, a, with a, a person who monitors the bears. And so mostly the same bears show up year after year. Although and, I'm upset that Bear 856 isn't in the contest. Yeah. You must be as well. I mean, Bear, I bear 856, a legend, really, yes. uh, of Fat Bear Week. And a I guess, legend among bears. Yes, and apparently not, not enough pictures of, of Bear 856. Well, that's usually why they're not there, is yeah. that they didn't get a good picture of a bear mostly out of the water in either spring or in the fall. So you have to have a before and after picture. Yeah, and that's most likely why Bay, Bear Eight Fifty Six is not there because he he is a big bear. <laughs> so uh, can you bet on this on FanDuel and stuff like that? Can you bet on bears? They've, everything everything seems to be wagerable these days. I have no idea. Well, you would never do this. You take this uh, very seriously, I and you're do. you're a purist. I uh, am. <laughs> but there are horrible people out there who would even bet on fat bears. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. So, um, do you have a favorite bear? I, I haven't really picked a favorite bear. I'm I'm up for any kind of tips that you have. Do you have like a bear that I should maybe be following? Oh yeah, yeah. And and I think two of two of the bears that are the fattest this year or have gained the most amount of weight are probably going to be in the finals. Hmm. And that's thirty two chunk and one twenty eight grazer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, get your bets down right away. 
Well, today's the semifinals. Yeah. And both those bears are in the semifinals. All so right. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I thought when I was up there, actually, that I would go for 32 chunk. Yeah. Um, but now that I've seen how big Grazer is, yeah. she is quite the, quite the bear. Right. Um, I think my choice will be 128 Grazer. All right. That's where the smart money's going right now. Ginny from Avon, thank you so much for your call. Uh, let me uh, jump over here. i got to keep an eye on time here. Mr. Reese, I'm just going to hit that, that time that we talked about, right? Yes, that's good. Okay. So <laughs> we're kind of making the show up as we go. Uh, here's Chris in Avon. Hi, Chris. Hey. Um, I, my last name is Grazer, so maybe I should be voting for Fat Bear Grazer. Um, but at any rate, I have a completely different, you know, complete pivot. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been thinking about the puzzling over the through line of the, I guess you could call it the Holy Land. Um, just that area. I don't want to call it Israel. I don't want to call it Palestine. It's a chunk of land that people have been fighting over for 2,000 years or more. And just where could this craziness that's going on right now have stopped? I I think if there hadn't been a Holocaust, would we be here right now? I don't know. It's just, um, you know, I, I feel badly for every innocent person there. But on the other hand, seems like Israel made a choice to kind of ignore all of these people packed in these territories and people in the territories chose, uh, you know, leadership that their response is not to make their lives, you know, their people's lives better, but to just attack. So I'm curious to see what you think. I, I think that, um, first of all, I, I, there are so many moments over the course of history in which the situation could have been improved and could have improved uh, and and hasn't, despite tremendous efforts by any number of people. I do feel that one of the lessons that we're learning, we're seeing right here, is that um, if there are a group of parties seeking stability and one group, one, you know, one element of that doesn't want stability and can't benefit from it. Um, instability tends to follow. So this is pretty clearly uh, this latest attack is in response to the um, negotiations with Saudi Arabia. I think it became pretty clear that uh, the Palestinians weren't going to get much of anything out of this. I, I think that that's sort of the, the word that was feeding back down the pipeline to them, that they weren't, certainly statehood was not going to be part of this. Um, so what you're going to see, uh, what they were, what they saw was a kind of stability that was achieved by counting them out. Um, and so their goal, I think, and I, I should say I'm just not an expert in this. There are a bunch of areas where people can call up and I will have something to add to the conversation. I tend to feel talking about this particular situation, like I should do more listening and less talking because I just know less about it than a lot of people. But I I think in this situation, you know, if they wanted to avoid this particular thing, probably certain, you know, better signals sent to to the Palestinians, better better communication about what was going to be in this accord and what they could possibly reliably seek from this accord was maybe the only, only thing that could help. But, I mean, that risks intruding on what were already pretty complicated negotiations. So 
I don't know. It's, it's, I, well, the one thing that I completely agree with you about is most of the people who are going to be hurt by this on both sides already been hurt, already been killed. More people are going to be hurt and more people are going to be killed. Most of those people are innocent of wrongdoing. This is uh, a terrible situation that implicates and hurts you know, women, children, just people who are want to have peaceful lives, looking for a place to have those lives on both sides. And, and I do feel as though that's a very sad thing. Anyway, we I could probably take uh, thanks for your call first of all very much, uh, and I could probably take one more call maybe from Lake Como Dave uh, calling from a beautiful Lake Como in uh, Ohio, not the one in Italy. Uh, Lake Como Dave, you have the floor right now. Thanks, Colin. I hope you're well. Um, yeah, it's hard not to talk about Israel, but you know, since you kind of put it out there that you also want comments about other topics, mm-hmm. I, I will take one. Um, just kind of an update on the Robert F. Kennedy Jr. candidacy, um, and with the you know proviso that the polls are worthless, a because we're more than are out, and b because so many previously reliable ones have been acquired by conservative you know owners and are manipulated, blah blah blah. So you really can't trust them. Um, it seems at the moment to me like Kennedy is going to steal more votes from a Republican candidate than from a Democratic candidate. So I just want to see where you were at on that right now. I, I think that that's true. I think that the Trump camp now realizes that, that whatever level of comfort they'd ever had with RFK Jr. is kind of a spoiler, um, is was not warranted. And if I were the Biden camp and if I were the National Democratic Party, one thing that I would do, often in the form of a compliment, is constantly remind the world of Operation Warp Speed and all the wonderful wonderful things that Donald Trump had to do to make that come about. Um, because that's I, I, there was uh, there's a podcast by the New York Times. I think it's called The Run Up, and this is months and months ago. But I was listening to them talk, and they were somebody was talking on the show about the whole issue of vaccination in the MAGA world, and the moment at which the sort of MAGA base realized that Trump was you know, in large part responsible for a massive de- development of, of of mRNA vaccines and, and distribution of those vaccines to the people. And whoever was talking said it was kind of a Frankenstein moment when the MAGA base realized that they were not the same thing as the person who created them. Um, and, and I really think defections are, around the vaccine issue um, are um, a big possibility if they have a choice. Now, they can't defect to Biden because they're mad about vaccines. Uh, that doesn't mean anything, doesn't make any sense. But yes, RFK giving them a choice. It should scare the hell out of the Trump people. Yeah. And, and you know, it, although with the MAGA types like you just described, I just always feel like they have a, a, a impregnable rolling denial mechanism that allows them to leap quickly from a realization like you just described to, you know, nope, we're still with them. Uh, you know, I don't care. It doesn't matter. He's still the guy. You know, um, I will be the happiest person in the world if that turns out as you laid it out. Yeah, I mean, um, look, they're not uh, all they're not all going to defect, but this this is going to be an election of margins, um, and and yeah. you know, a crescent from that moon can, particularly in the right states, can tip. Uh, can tip elections. And so, you know, as we look at those bellwether states, you know, if we look at Wisconsin uh, and, and Arizona and Georgia, all you need to do is have that be the latent message. Lake Como, Dave, I have to break away. We're about to take a little break here. I think we're going to ask you to support the kind of programming that we do where some foolish person decides he won't even have any guests and just talk to you. No, 
cause I know sacrifice Lose control, still hold on tight I won't be the only time I'm a soldier, I know how to fight I make fire when it's cold in the night All episodes of The Colin McEnroe Show are available 24-7 at ctpublic.org slash Colin, which is also where you can sign up for our delightful free fortnightly newsletter, The Newsletter. You can listen to any episode on any podcast app. Have a question or comment? Email us at colinshow at ctpublic.org. Now, back to the show. And today, uh, making a guest appearance as our technical producer, it's the conductor, the conductor of everything. Dylan Reyes uh, is manning the board today uh, and expertly as well. And then, uh, so we have sort of dual producers for this episode. Uh, I think uh, Mr. McPants probably pulled all the music and stuff like that. But screening your calls right now is our senior producer, Lily Tyson. It's all hands on deck here for Ask or Tell Me Anything. We're going to go right now to Mike and Cheryl and possibly Mendel. Uh, but And we'll do that in that order. And there's other people uh, in the queue as well. But you could also call 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. You know what I want to know? I want to know where, where there's a show like this one that I could call. Because, like, I have stuff. I have I have stuff. I have issues. Like, I don't – have you noticed that somehow or other it got changed from hominids to hominins? Which I don't think is a good idea because it's – well, I, I could say – I should find a show I could call to talk about this. Uh, all right. Here's Mike in Woodbury. Hi, Mike. You have the floor. Hi. Hi, Colin. How are you? Just fine. Thank you, thanks for taking my call. Um, so I've been reading about this, this apparent trend where uh, lots of American men have become obsessed with ancient Rome. Uh, and uh, which, uh, you know, I would think it's because – you know, the macho gladiator thing and, you know, strong leaders like, you know, Caesar and Tiberius. I mean, I very, very much doubt it has to do with the writings of Marcus Aurelius and Seneca. Um, I even understand that 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 famous classical scholar Joe Rogan has uh, weighed in on this. Uh, But, um, you know, maybe there is also something to the fact that Rome was, you know, ruled the world and then fell. And, you know, the possibility that America is in that same situation. Maybe that maybe there's there's a little bit of that in there, too. I don't know. Yeah. Um. Well, first of all, there's a lot of what you say. And the one thing that I sh- should say is that if all goes well and if the gods favor us and we have, in fact, uh, we've committed several animal sacrifices and uh, looked at their entrails and it seems as though this is all going to work. <laughs> Uh, but I believe on October 25th, Mary Beard, I mean, interestingly, by far the most preeminent historian of ancient Rome and the empire in particular is is not a man, but a woman. Uh, and it's Mary right. Beard. And we are very excited to get her on. Uh, we're going oh, to have a long conversation about this. And I've been talking about it and writing about it as well. I think you'll even hear me mention it briefly on the Pirate Show tomorrow. But I, I, I think it's everything that you just said. I think there are some really interesting questions about why Rome fell. And I, I actually believe that people look at the wrong fall or they, they overemphasize the fall uh, of the Western Empire um, at the time of, of Honorius. And they don't look at the fall of the Republic. Um, you know, each, each thing lasted about 500 years, give or take. So about 500 years of the Republic. Or, and after 400 years of really good, solid functioning, the Republic had like 100 bad years at the end. And it kind of replicates itself a little bit in the empire too. About, you know, 400 
quote-unquote good years, uh, things start to come unraveled. So I think there are some very interesting and uneasy questions that people have about why do things stop working when they've been working pretty well for a while. Um, And I think there's also a recognition, this kind of almost atavistic recognition that a lot of the earliest stirrings uh, of our republic you know, all those guys in that terrific musical were very, um, very interested in the Roman Republic. And, you know, they, the Federalist Papers were published by Publius, which is the evocation of a very specific Roman citizen. So some of our DNA or our putative DNA is that as well. And I just think also it's, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I'm old enough. So when I, Claudius, first came out uh, on PBS, it just really kind of interesting, fun, colorful, nasty, brutish stuff that you don't have to apologize for because it happened a long time ago. And that's true with Rome on, on HBO and all the other stuff. That I don't think it's one thing, but I think you hit a lot of the things. Great. Yeah. No, thank you. All right. Uh, so, but we we... We'll ask Mary. Mary will have some very uh, distinct ideas uh, about uh, about the. But I'm thinking all the time about the Roman Empire. And the other thing I would say about this is, since this came out, and it wasn't so much that American men started thinking about the Roman Empire as I understand the trope. It was more they were always thinking about it. Nobody ever brought it up before, but it turns out that that they are thinking about it a lot. This all started on TikTok, which of course is a very reliable source of information. But I think now. Like, I don't know if you, if every other couple has this, but in the couple that I am one half of, there is this thing where you say to the other person, what are you thinking about right now? And I would say my significant other asked me that question more than I ask her that question. What are you thinking about right now? And so our answer for many years has been my business. I was just thinking about my business. Uh, it's funny you should ask because just when you were asking that question, I just started, started thinking about my business. But now I'm just going to say I'm thinking about the Roman Empire. Because that's a perfectly acceptable and scientifically supported answer because it's on TikTok. Um, so I think it might become a little shorthand for I'm not going to tell you what I'm really thinking about. Um, all right. So here is Cheryl. Cheryl from Plantsville. Cheryl, you now have the floor. Great to hear from you. Oh, hi. Hi, Colin. As an aside from the Roman Empire, but joining you in not liking or hating black mugs, I once took a large sip of black coffee, and unfortunately, not being able to see the coffee against the black mug, I burnt my mouth. So do not feel alone in that in any way. I recently donated a set of black mugs. Hopefully the new owner will use a creamer and not go through what I went through. And by the way, I'm looking forward to your new mug, which I hear is not black. Yeah, you know what? What I found out, this is a little bit of inside baseball. But um, And I forget who told me this. Maybe Lily told me this. Somebody told me that it almost was going to be black on the inside. So for people who are just joining the show in progress, uh, by which I mean like today, um, I don't like mugs that are dark. Not just black, but even dark brown. Dark interiors I do not like. Um, and, and part of it, like, you know, Cheryl, I was so gratified that your story didn't end with, and there was a spider in it, and it bit my lip, you know? Like, the fact that the worst thing that happened was that you were burned, I feel bad about that, obviously, but the hot coffee, but it could have been so much worse, because that's the problem with dark bugs. You cannot see what's in there. Uh, you will have never, never have any idea what kinds of creatures or demons or menaces are living inside the dark <laughs> mug. So, so it turns out they were almost going to make it that way, and somebody 
I think it was Lauren Komrowski. Somebody said, I thought I heard Colin say he didn't like dark mugs. Uh, and wow, what a relief. Yes, you're going to love our new mug. It really is a very beautiful thing. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. No, we love it very much. And I, I didn't even let, oh, never mind. I shouldn't even say that. Never mind. Never mind. All right. Uh, we got to keep going here. The number is 888-720-WNPR. And Mr. Ray's keep uh, track of me because I know I've got a certain out time here. Uh, so Mendel from West Hartford. Hi. Long time. How's it going, Colin? Just fine. Good. So I I heard about pirates and all of that, and I just wanted to make a clarification that all of the historical figures that everybody thinks about as pirates were actually mostly privateers, which were like ex-Navy, and they were given what was called a letter of mark, and they were um, uh, employed to hassle countries that they were potentially at war with, but not uh, at war with. And so they were given this letter of mark and they were allowed to go and attack these ships and take them as prizes and do that for their country. Yeah, you will, see, you will hear this distinction made and discussed in detail uh, tomorrow on the show by Rebecca Simon, who is our amazing historian of pirates, written many pirate books. And she will explain in, in great deal detail and to your profound satisfaction um, the kinds of distinction. I mean, it's, it's even more complicated than that, but that is certainly a big part of it. And yeah, a lot of them were ex-Navy. They, they, they got their training. And one of the things that's sort of amazing, I don't want to spoil too much of tomorrow's show, but... Life on a pirate ship was often typically better and less hierarchical and more egalitarian than life on a British Navy ship or life on a merchant vessel. Um, so it was an attractive place to go. The problem is that you didn't tend to live very long, but that was also the case on almost any ship you could go on. So anyway, I think you will be, Mendel, very happy with tomorrow's show. All right, we have a few minutes left here. We'll talk to as many people as we can in those few minutes. Here is Marie in East Hartford. Hi, Marie. Hi, how are you doing? Just fine. Okay. So, so first, to the gentleman that was wondering about what is what are some of the things that are great about Connecticut, mm-hmm. um, what I love is that when you go into our cities, and I'm really going to talk about Hartford, big city, little town, um, you can meet people from all over the world. Um, I used to live on Franklin, and I work in Hartford, and... You you can meet people from um, Africa. You meet people from Southeast Asia, from uh, Latin America, from Europe, all all over the world. So um, meet some people. I think it's um, I think it's a great point. I, I think one thing that's kind of inf- unfortunate is that first of all, Hartford itself is a very tiny place. It's I think sixteen or so square miles. You could yeah. fit about eight Hartfords into you know a large metropolitan city elsewhere. And and an awful lot of people don't have your expansive attitude towards all this. They want to stay mm-hmm. in Simsbury. They don't want to meet anybody from Africa or mm-hmm. from Vietnam mm-hmm. or you know they want to just mm-hmm. like live their lives. And I think that has really hurt our cities. New Haven has done a lot be- better job, and they had some advantages going in at mm-hmm. kind of cosmopolitanizing itself, but I, I love that you exist and, and that you have the attitude that you have. I, I think it's it's okay. vital. So yeah, and I'm, perhaps the caller, whose name I've now forgotten, will uh, will feel that way too. All right, so um, yeah, I can squeeze one or two more calls in here. Here's uh, Adrian in West Hartford. Hi, Adrian. You got the floor. Uh, hi, Colin. Thanks. I'd like to talk about um, how we can engender nonviolent responses 
in um, despairing populations, both in the Middle East, East and here in, in America. I, you know, I thought about writing to leaders in Israel to say, hey, stop occupying Palestinian territory. I didn't do it. I have written to Governor DeSantis, objecting to the repression, not t- talking about slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, I have friendships in in the both deep friendships in both the Jewish community and Black community. I actually don't know any Palestinians. Does anybody even know whether there are Palestinian clubs or groups in the area that people could um, participate in? Yeah, I do, I don't know that. Um, my guess is that they would be. You know, I mean, mosques would be t- maybe a, a place where you might uh, encounter Palestinian people, but but I don't know. And you're sort of right that they are maybe a little bit less visible um, than um, than a lot of other ethnicities that, that we could talk about. I think that I mean, the, 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 right now, the both Black Americans who have rioted in the past, and people in Palestine who are have been well, and doing what they did this weekend, they know that these action, these actions are going to only bring more more repercussions down on them. They know that very well, but they're so despairing that they they don't care. They, they just have to do something. And it seems to me that I, I'm not a member of an aggrieved group, but I'd like to sort of talk about what we can do to. Um, Maybe lessen the despair. Right. And and I think that's a longer conversation. I do want to say just be careful about equivalences. What uh, what happened this weekend was not a riot. Uh, it was not a riot by displaced people. It was uh, an organized military strike uh, against a largely civilian population. Um, and so I, I, I understand the commonality that you're exploring there and the way in which um, yes, disaffected populations tend to resort to desperate means of, expi- of expressing their displeasure. But what we saw this weekend was considerably more than that. It was a military strike financed by outside forces uh, and, and plotted uh, with outside for- forces, forces outside the nation. Um, it's just kind of in a different league in terms of the bloodshed and the harm it is going to cause. All right, so uh, Mr. Ray's, this is like time to say goodbye or something, right? Yes, it's time to say goodbye. I have no idea where I am or what I'm doing. It's all I'm lost in a world of kaleidoscopic colors where where reality just collapses upon itself. But you know, that's been it's been a pleasant day anyway. has been disconnected.